0: Greetings, beloved, and welcome to another edition of Modern Day Truth Ministries. This is Jordan Thompson praying the blessings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over you and yours. Uh, I hope that this message finds you in excellent spirits. Uh, I know that God wanted me to upload this message today uh, because it is a topic that over the last several weeks, whether it's friends who are new believers or curious people online, uh, periodically I have gotten the same question in regards to today's subject. Um, And today, only for the confirmed as I was scrolling through Twitter as usual, and I saw a very simple yet deep tweet. And The tweet simply read, what do we do with the book of James? And I read through the comments, I myself commented, and so here we are. For centuries, this is the question that Christians themselves have asked for centuries. They have sought to reconcile what by some would maybe label the irreconcilable, the words of James and the words of Paul. It is under this premise that Martin Luther, during the Reformation, as, went as far as wanting the book of James excluded from a Protestant biblical canon. He felt that the book of James went against the Protestant doctrine of sola gratia, or by grace alone. It is this theological premise that Paul talks about in a letter to the Church of Ephesus. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where the apostle writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul is very clear in this verse and in subsequent verses throughout the New Testament that we are not saved by anything we can do or anything we will do, that we are only saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Grace in and of itself is a gift and it is undeserved favor from God. So do not make the mistake of believing that I'm going to approach this message today in any way other than that. Never will I argue that we are saved by works and not grace. Simply put, Romans 3.28 and Romans 4.2 make clear man is justified by faith alone. However, what I am going to do today is address the assertions, uh, the misunderstandings, and the out-of-context and the complete disregard for the book of James. We're going to look at this from the biblical perspective and from the context, because long held has there been a belief that there is a contradiction between James and Paul. And it is today's message that I'm going to use to outline to you how there is no contradiction if we read the Bible as God intends us to. I feel it's needed also to establish this premise from the outset, and those of you who follow me online or uh, have heard me preach in person or have heard uh, subsequent episodes of messages that I have put out know this, that Satan's goal through the twisting of the message of grace is to keep us hostage to our sin. Thankfully, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have access to true grace, liberation, from sin, brothers and sisters, not the freedom to continue in our sin. One of the things that I've said most in my short almost 30 years on this earth Regarding grace, whether it's in a sermon or pinned currently to my Twitter account or one on one or in small groups or in a corporate body of worship, is that we as Christians should never find ourselves preaching grace as a license to sin, but rather it as the redeeming power breaking us from the bondage and the chains of sin. We cannot be saved, sanctified, and holy by faith and going around doing whatever to whomever, however. We choose. The Bible is very clear about this. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, whether we listen to the words of Jesus or the words of Paul, the very perversion of grace is part of why many either reject James altogether or view it as a contradiction to the message of sola gratia or salvation as a whole in and of itself. At the heart of this perceived contradiction, a lot of it is found within the first two books of James. Uh, One of the foremost verses that people use to cite uh, that this is a biblical contradiction is James chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. If you would like to follow along with me, this is James, the second chapter, verses 14 and 15. And the apostle writes, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? On the surface, brothers and sisters, Paul says a faith with works won't save you, and James says a faith without works can't save you. There lies the contradiction that many tend to cite between the two apostles of the two the New Testament. This is the very reason why Martin Luther most likely wanted James omitted because, as he stated, we are under gratia under grace, not under the law any longer. For centuries, we've had people uh, twisting themselves into theological pretzels, trying to reconcile what some would deem the irreconcilable. Because uh, the simple fact is, is if we look at these statements in the way that they're being presented, uh, they often don't agree and they seem paradoxical in nature. But what I want to do for the purpose of this message today is simplify what the Bible is saying. First and foremost, what people forget, what Paul and James are saying, is they are saying two different things to do different sets of people. Paul is speaking to the unbeliever and James is speaking to the believer. Paul is speaking to the old you as James is speaking to the new you with a renewed mind in Christ. And what I mean by this is Paul is giving the unbeliever the roadmap to Jesus and salvation. He is saying, I understand that you are lost, but here is the GPS. Here is the way you get from point A to point B, which will get you to point C. He is saying, Here is the way to Jesus. He is speaking directly to those that are seeking the Savior, seeking salvation, seeking Jesus. James, on the other hand, is speaking to those of us who have already found Jesus, who are in church, who are going out and around declaring. Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. These are two different statements addressing two very different realities. How do I get saved versus once I am saved and have found the one that they call Jesus? I believe that many of us can attest to the fact that the old us is much different than the new us with a renewed mind in Christ. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ, are we not? Some of you may ask, how do I know that James is speaking directly to believers? How can I make this assertion? What evidence biblically, other than my own conjecture, can we believe this to be true? As I mentioned earlier, the most, the center most point of this contradiction argument exists from James chapter 1 and 2. And we're going to look at these most quote-unquote controversial parts of James' writings, and they're going to give us an indication as well of who he is speaking to. To fully understand these things, though, I want to touch on a few key points. First of all, we have to understand the Greek that is being used in not only James's passages, but throughout the New Testament and overall in the Bible. The word sozo is the Greek word used to describe salvation or to deliver, save, or rescue from something. Fact number two. 70% of the time it is used in the New Testament, it is not being used to describe saving from eternal damnation or rescued from hell. We have to understand the context by which the New Testament writers are using save or saved. This is paramount to understanding the interpretation of the text. Most of the usages in the New Testament, and almost 100% of the Old Testament usages of the word sozo, point to saving from the consequences brought on ourselves by sin. This, in, in and of itself, simplified is that this is saving us from the results of our sin, the results of our rebellion and our departure from God. Now you understand why I talk so much about the existential threat posed by doctrine that seeks to pervert the message of biblical grace. In doing so, when we allow this perverted message to take over, we miss a great many things in Scripture and the beauty of the book of James being one of them. James himself, as a New Testament writer, uses the word sozo five times. And I can give you a clear example of this. If you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 through 22. However, James uses the word sozo in verse 21, but I want to include the previous verses before as well as the verse after so that we have a clear context of who James is speaking to, his overall point is at conclusion and summarization and the theological premise that is presented within his writings and his biblical arguments. This is James, the first chapter, verses 19 and 22. And the Bible reads, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." James is speaking to believers, and we have a clear indication of this by the opening phrase, Beloved Brethren. This is a common usage in the New Testament when the apostles are writing directly to those who have already accepted Jesus, the corporate body of believers. Now, the second question I've gotten when given this explanation to someone is, if I am already saved, why do I need to be saved again? Because if we read James as it is written, that's essentially what people pull out of it. James in verse 21 uses that Greek word sozo yet again. However, it, we have to understand as Christians that the word sozo in the New Testament is not necessarily used the way we're thinking in English. The word sozo in the New Testament is used in three different ways, describing three very different realities. We have to go beyond just reading the word as we know it in English to truly understand the beauty and the context of James' message at hand. Those three realities are quite simple. To save from certain death, to be healed, Or finally, salvation, or being born again. And if we expound on this further, if we nail this down even further, it gets even more applicable to the topic of salvation. To expound on this further, number one, saved past, meaning saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. Save future, which is the v- saved from the very presence of sin, or in other words, our glorification. Uh, basically, when the church finds itself in heaven with Jesus Christ. And number three, saved present, which is saving from the debilitating power of sin. As I've mentioned within the last few minutes, context is key to understanding what James is trying to say. What saved is he talking about? Now we can see, if we look at the text, that James is not talking about saved past because we've identified that he is talking to us as believers. And as believers, the penalty has already been paid. We're not in heaven reunited with Jesus and reconciled to the Father. Therefore, James is not speaking of our glorification or saved future, which simply leaves us in the present, which is referring to the debilitating power of sin. James is using Sozo in verse 21 to describe living a Christian life. Walking in biblical obedience will save us from the debilitating power of sin. James reminds us that we are to receive this word humbly because it's been implanted or placed within us as believers. It is our innate nature now, as believers, to naturally express this outward declaration of our. Faith, Which brings me to this next point. We are implored by James in this chapter to be doers of the word, not hearers, lest we only deceive ourselves. James, as we remember in chapter 2, asked us, what does it profit for us to have faith without works? He asked that question only after, in chapter 1, imploring us not to just be hearers of the word, but but to be doers as well. We remember that Paul says in Romans 10:13 that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. The thing that can- connects the thoughts of both Paul and James is the word of God. Number one, we get faith by the word of God, but our faith isn't exercised only in hearing, but by doing, by living a Christ-centered life. James is simply asking us as believers, what do you believe? If you believe what you say you do, then you will have an outward expression of this faith. To tell you the truth, Christians often struggle to distinguish Christian obedience from its legalistic counterparts. What makes godly obedience different from the moralistic efforts of non-Christians? The Apostle James offers us an important window into this particular quality of Christian obedience if we continue into verse 23, 24, and 25. Once again, this is James chapter 1, and this is now verses 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and imme- immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And verse 25 reads, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forget not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does." James contrasts doing the word with being a mere hearer. Hearing without doing, he says, is like looking at your face in the mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look like. In other words, James is saying hearing equals looking in the mirror and not doing equals walking away and forgetting. Simply hearing the word is not the same as obeying its brothers and sisters. If all you do is hear with no doing, then what you are doing is kidding kidding yourself as a believer. You have deceived yourself into believing that you are something that you are not. You are then self-deceived. James is challenging us as believers to back up our words, or as many would say, to put our money where our collective mouths are. Often the question that I pose to those who disregard the book of James and the writings of James is simply, tell me where... James says we are saved by works. The premise of the overall argument is those who say this believe that the law gives us no hope because it has a built-in defeater to any attempt at justification by works. The law, in and it of itself, demands perfection, and to this I don't disagree. But I also must inform that James does not disagree either, as Paul the apostle says in Galatians 5:3, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. James himself says in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. But yet we still have a problem to many. Many people still say, why does James contradict Paul by saying we're justified by works and not by faith alone? He even goes as far as quoting Abraham for proof of his point, just as Paul did, in reference to Paul and James' quoting of Genesis 15 in regards to Abraham placing Isaac on the altar. Paul speaks of justification by faith, and James speaks of Abraham's justification by works. As Christians, I believe there's a basic rule we need to adopt when there is a feeling of contradiction. Always first explore the possibility of reconciliation between the two. Not all statements that appear to contradict actually do. Remember that word that I said, context. Context is key. We saw that with Sozo, that there's three very different realities in which the New Testament writers use that word. Context is key in terms of biblical contradiction that many are arguing. Take, for instance, these two statements. Napoleon was a very big man. That's statement one. Statement two, Napoleon was not a big man. He was a small man. At first glance, when we look at these as they're written through carnal eyes, we understand that they appear contradictory. However, the word big is equivocal. It can mean two different things. Napoleon was a big man regarding his impact and imprint on history, but was small in physical size and stature. If we consult any dictionary, we'll discover that virtually every word has more than one meaning. The word peace could mean cessation or hostility between two parties. When a war is over and the fighting stops, there is peace." Romans 5.1 carries this sense. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want to call your attention to that word justify because this is the very basis of the argument for either disregarding of James or picking through James like trail mix. The word justify is no different than any other word in the English language. It has two meanings. Not a singular meaning, but multiple. Number one, in addition to absolve, declare free of blame, it also means to demonstrate or to prove to be just, right, or valid. To show to be well-founded. In the case of salvation, the first is the cause. The second is the effect. The second definition is what is usually in the view when we use justify in English. Example, justify your position, we often say. We're asking for evidence and we want proof. The Bible frequently uses this sense of the word too. Jesus taught that a person's true nature will be evident in his conduct. If you don't believe me, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. This is Matthew the 12th chapter, uh, 33 verses through 37. Matthew the 12th chapter, 33 through 37. And verse 33 reads, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. A brood of vipers, how can you... Being evil, speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account on it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus teaches here that a man with good treasure brings forth good fruit, which, there's that word again, justifies him. This external display demonstrates the quality of the person within. This is not justification in the sense of salvation. One's words do not absolve him, first definition. Rather, they bear testimony of the inner person, the second definition. We are not saved by our works. Paul says that, and James does not disagree with that. James is simply reminding us of what Jesus himself said. Our outward expression, our actions, will be evidence of what we say we believe. If we truly believe that Jesus is Lord and we've accepted him as Lord and Savior in our life, then an outward expression is simply just a declaration of the faith that we have already declared with our words. James expounds upon this further, and we're going to get to the crux of why James is so dismissed, and this is found in James, the second chapter, so if you would turn with me back to James, chapter 2, this is where we began today's message, and this is the heart of what is consistently being argued up against Paul. This is James, the second chapter, verses 16 through 25, James, James chapter 2, 16 through 25. And one says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do you not give them things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? son on the altar. Do you see? Faith was working together with his works, and by the works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Then you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Verse 25 reads, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Many of us remember Hebrews 11 as being the faith chapter. In verse six, the writer writes, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is under this premise that James addresses a very important point in verse 19, which we had just read, beloved, you can believe all you want that there is one true God. That is wonderful in and of itself, but even the demons know this and tremble with, he- with fear before him, yet they remain unchanged. They are demons nonetheless. You see, we have to understand that James is saying it's one thing just to have direct intellectual knowledge of God, but we have to take it a step further because knowledge of the one true God is not what separates the saints from the demons of hell. James is imploring and reminding us that it's simply not enough to know of God or to know of Jesus. The mere intellectual knowledge is not enough. True change only takes place with an outward declaration or an an outward expression of said faith. For all of you currently listening to this and think that this sounds very legalistic, just bear with me for just a moment. You see, when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, sin no longer is in our innate nature. We will naturally seek to do good when we have a renewed mind in Christ. James is just reiterating what we find littered throughout through the New Testament— For instance, after all, we remember the words of 3 John 1.1 that says, Dear friends, don't let this bad example influence you, for only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Let us not forget the words of Hebrews 13.16. Do not neglect to do good, for such sacrifices are always pleasing to God. How about the words of Acts 10.38? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Brothers and sisters, James is not being contrarian to Paul. James is not being a legalist. He is simply reconciling the fact that if we have faith, if we've accepted Jesus Christ, we will naturally have an outward expression of said belief. We will not want to do good because that is what saves us because we're not saved by works. We will seek to do good because that is the nature of the God that we serve, and having a renewed mind in Him draws us closer to that which is good. Brothers and sisters, this is the part that Luther and many others didn't get. James was not anti gratia. In fact, his beliefs tie in perfectly with that theological concept. It is only when we seek to water down grace or pervert its message that we don't fully understand the concept in which James and Paul are speaking in. And verse 22 ties this all in together um, of how our deeds and our faith come together as one. This was the biggest part that went over Luther and many others' heads. The part that they were unable to reconcile is clearly explained and outlined in verse 22. True faith will not only help you turn from your sin, it will help you be obedient. This is what James called being not just hearers of the word, but doers. Brothers and sisters, it seems like today that there are so many, even within the Bible, of Christ who are telling Jesus that we want him to be our Savior. We're asking him to save us, but not our Lord. We're saying, not thy will, but my will be done. And while a great many people may not be saying this out loud, their actions say it loud and clear. The overarching point in verses 24 through 21 as a whole reconcile what I asked earlier. Paul says in Romans 3, 28, we are justified in faith alone. And James says faith without works is dead. Here's how we reconcile this. Your faith and only your faith justifies you in terms of salvation or makes you acceptable to God. But the works of your faith prove its genuineness. They prove... They don't prove it necessarily to God because he knows the genuineness and the authenticity without said words, but the works of our faith prove its genuineness not just to ourselves, but to those we may encounter. As the word of God says, ye shall know them by their fruits. What are our motives? Are we genuinely humble and serving God or are we pious and self-serving. When Paul says man is justified by faith apart from the law, he was speaking against those who tried to be saved by deeds instead of true faith. When James says that men are justified by works, he is speaking of those who confuse mere intellectual acknowledgement of the facts with true faith. Brothers and sisters, it's important to understand that James, near the end of his life, saw others who claimed to have a relationship with Jesus, but never showed any fruit as a result of that relationship. We are living in a time that is similar to James. It is paramount to understand that the question of relationship between faith and works is the central division between the Protestant and Roman Catholics. The Reformed Protestant understanding of the relationship between faith and works is that salvation comes by faith in Christ alone, and the good works performed by believers aren't the basis of salvation, but should be understood as the necessary evidence Of that salvation. Not justification in means of salvation, but rather the second definition that we talked about earlier as to justify or to show evidence of. If we do not heed the warning of James' beloved, then we are bound to hear the words spoken by Jesus Christ himself in Matthew seven twenty two and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. One of the most important questions in biblical theology is the relationship between faith and works. And it is the understanding of this discussion that allows us to reconcile what is being said by both James and Paul and see it as in agreement. Indeed, different understandings of the role of faith and works have divided faithful Protestants from Roman Catholics and even many within the Protestant denominations from the time of the Reformation until even now. But brothers and sisters, do not take my word for it. This is just a basic outline for understanding of faith and works from God's word. But do your homework, prayerfully seek God's wisdom and open the writings of James and Paul for yourself. James himself implores us to ask God for wisdom because he does not withhold it from us. In arguing that there is a contradiction between the writings of Paul and James, many people forget that Paul does address faith and works combination multiple times throughout Scripture. Those who want to escape God's wrath must repent of their sins. We find this in Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, and Acts 17.30. And they must do works worthy of repentance. Acts 26:21. Simon, for instance, is an example. He Simon isn't truly saved since he hasn't truly repented of his sins. Acts chapter eight, verses nine through twenty-four. This is Simon the sorcerer. Paul says that those who practice the things of the flesh will not enter God's kingdom. Galatians five nineteen through twenty-one. one Corinthians six nine. Through 11. God is impartial and fair to those who do good will be rewarded with eternal life, and those who practice evil will face final judgment. Romans chapter 2, 6 through 11. Only those who Who sow to the spirit will enjoy eternal life, while those who sow the flesh will be destroyed. Galatians 6:8. Paul reminds the readers that God avenges evil. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 6, and those who do what is good will be rewarded. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. You see, some scholars continue to claim that Paul and James contradict one another, but such a view contradicts the inspiration of Scripture, and there is a plausible solution to that dilemma. We have already seen that both Jesus and Paul teach salvation by faith and yet also emphasize the necessity of good works. The good works necessary for salvation can't be the basis of one's salvation, since God is infinitely holy and demands perfection. Thus, the good works that we performed as Christians, as believers, aren't the basis of salvation, but should be understood as the necessary evidence of our salvation. Such works are the fruit and the product of our new life in Jesus Christ. We have an important confirmation that James himself believed this. For he says in James chapter 3, verse 2, that we all stumble in many ways. James means by this that we all sin in many ways. And he makes this comment immediately after insisting on what some call justification by works, James 2, 24. Apparently, the works that justify are quite imperfect. And thus, they could never be the basis of our justification since God demands perfection. Since we continue to stumble in a variety of ways, our works function as the evidence and indication that we have a new life in Christ. Justification is by faith alone. And as we put our trust in Christ alone, and thus our salvation is by grace alone and for the glory of God alone, and our good works demonstrate that we are trusting in in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Brothers and sisters, James and Paul go together like two sides of the same coin. They don't conflict with each other, they complement each other. Both teach us something vital. Paul looks at what goes on internally. James talks about the external results. Paul says we are saved by faith. James says this is what saving faith looks like. Beloved, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, sums it up for us. And let us remember these words as believers. But when the kindness and love of our God... Our Savior toward man appeared not by the works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, should we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Our works cannot save us nor can our faith alone. It is only by the finished work of Jesus Christ that we find justification and salvation. And it is that renewed mind in Christ that shows us what a saved faith looks like. Oftentimes, as believers, the first sermon that an unbeliever will ever come in contact with is the life that we have lived. So let us stop looking at James and Paul as a contradiction and allow us to look at them as complementary. Until we meet again, God bless, and thank you for listening. You can find this on every major platform, Modern Day Truth Ministries, and on Twitter, at Modern Day Truth. Until we meet again, God bless.